This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Until we recently wrapped up third annual Night of the Opera contest, uh, as is tradition, we're going to chat about the submissions. And uh, I randomized the order in which we're going to talk about them because then we have no preference. So uh, what do you guys think about Operation Boondock Rats? That is the one in rural Connecticut relating to a cryptid sighting and uh, far more human horrors. Given before we go into individual context feedback one by one, perhaps we should give the viewers some context. You know, what were the prompts, etc.? Uh, what were the instructions they were given? All right, go for it. Well, thank you, the guy who created the contest, for refusing to explain his cruelty. Uh, this contest, like the previous Night of the Opera Scenario contest, tested the abilities of the participants to use items drawn from a list of prompts in their submissions. The prompts offered were voted on by the community and then curated by Kevin for a final list of... 11. 11? I thought it was supposed to be 10. Well, then you guys should have offered some assistance when I asked you to explain what was going on instead of leaving me to do it and then complaining when I don't get it right. No, there's 11. You're, you're not wrong. Really? I literally just went and counted. Yeah, I thought that's, it was that's 10. That's how I this read the number. time I thought it was 10. Jake, is that why you didn't use a Rico case because it was the hidden prompt? No, I didn't use a Rico case because I uh, because it was voted uh, and it replaced a prompt that I really liked. I mean, the reason there's 11 is because I think we had a four or five way tie for the last set, and there was no way to run those off any further without adding more. So I just added the last two that were tied. Cool. Okay, so the first one you said was Boondock Rats. Yes. Okay, so this is the uh, uh, the Occam's Razor scenario, and I'm not talking about like uh, philosophy. I'm talking about the uh, the upcoming Stygian Fox book of like mythos scenarios where there's no mythos, like sort of like a scenario that just kind of pulls the rug under out from underneath you. I mean, are there mythos? Is there mythos in any Stygian Fox scenarios if they never come out? If yeah, if it's never published, it doesn't exist. I guess. The whole premise of this one basically is that there's just a, a, an evil person who's doing things, but it's very easy for the agents to mistake the things that are happening for mythos-related things. So it's very... There's a crazy There's a crazy yeah. person who locked a guy in his basement for like 40 years, and then the basement guy broke out and is now like a troglodyte who's going around the, the town uh, killing people. But the joke is that all the murders in this area are actually not committed by the troglodyte. They're committed by other people. <laughs> The, the 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 he's more he's described as more of a ghoul man. So the whole idea is that you mistake him for a ghoul and you gun him down. But he has he doesn't kill anybody. He just eats a deer and then actually tries to help you. So I do like that as a and it's it's suggested this scenario be something ran after a particularly sanity blasting scenario where they just need like almost a break because you still get investigation and, and interesting things, but you're not going up against some ridiculous mythos creature that's gonna you know blast you even further. It's uh, kind of a nice little vacation. The prompt that this scenario is based on is called Mundanger, which is that you should have a danger that is not 
related to aliens and monsters that is just normal. Uh, there was an X-Files episode about this, about the Jersey Devil, where Mulder thought it was the Jersey Devil, but it was actually just a feral child. I remember that one. That was pretty good. Wasn't Tom, it you... hinted at at the very end that's like ambiguous about the Jersey Devil being real? Oh, no, it was, it was very explicit. Like, it showed, it showed the feral child and the feral child's parent. Oh, Tom, yeah, I, remember. I, I remember this because you said that you were a big fan of the Jersey Devil mythos. Yeah, I was really into that when I was younger. Were you? Because because I watched a lot of X Files when I was a kid. I did not watch a lot of X Files. I've seen a couple of them, but I never saw this episode you're talking about. Well, I guess it's I guess it's kind of a cop out, anyways, because it doesn't have the Jersey Devil and it just has like a primitive grog living in the woods. Yeah, but that sounds pretty interesting because like a cryptid is as much something that's kind of embedded, I guess, in the psyche of the area where you're living. It doesn't have to be a real monster to have an effect on people. Because that's sort of similar to this scenario. There's like some kind of lake monster or like a monster in the woods around this lake, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, historically. One of the one of the so one of the complications is there's a, a summer camp on the lake and the uh, the bad guy lives on the other side of the lake. And the summer camp, uh, there's a, a murder that happens there and they can they can kind of become a, a wedge or a lever that's thrown to, you know, make things harder or easier. But you could totally, and he suggest the uh, author suggests it. You could totally run this having all the players be camp counselors. It's just like a fun, like fish out of water. I mean, I'm gonna fish out of water. This is a fun scenario where you're, you know, camp counselors trying to investigate while your friend is missing, and you run into this, you know, ghoul and this murderer and other, other thing. It can be kind of fun. Yeah, I like this one. Uh, the author wrote a, a scenario for previous contest that was also a non-mythos based scenario. It was basically a, that scenario was about you going to some town and investigating Stephen King because his books have too much wizard shit in them and he's suspected of being like a local killer of Satanism and you go around the town and eventually either you discover that he's just some fucking hack writer or you end up killing him because you think he's a wizard. And that one had a lot of fun stuff. Like it had the the police thinking that the feds are just, you know, some out of towners that they can shake down and then probably getting shot because they're fighting Delta Green agents. And like the wizard, the the, the agents aren't the only one who had confused the author for a genuine wizard because he kept getting gifts from his fans that were actual magic items, but he didn't know it. So he just kept them in his house. I think I liked that one better. I think it had a, a tiny bit more evocative, but this one's pretty good. I think that it is nice that it has a cool horror element without using any wizard shit. I like, uh, yeah, I like that it feels like you could have the agents sort of jumping in shadows because it's about like the meta of it all, like meta knowledge being used against them. Yeah, players who know what ghouls are, but characters who aren't jumping at the ghoul-like guy, you'd be like, well, maybe your character, you shouldn't have done that, you know? Also, it's like, uh, like I've tried to do this in the past by just like inserting a dog barking at somebody in a scenario. Because, like, a lot of people think, like, dogs parking at something is, like, a mythos thing. But, like, it could just be that the dog doesn't like you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else on Boondock Rats? What's next? Uh, next is Operation Pooh Bear. I will say um, I used to be a big fan of Operation Something Something as a scenario name. Uh, but now I kind of hate it because it, unless it's unless it's tied cleverly to the scenario, I can't remember anything about it. So I've gone almost 180 degrees from my original thoughts, which were name everything in Operation to, like, name it something I can, like, See, I, I always try to do, like, Operation, you know, XY slash, like, the real name of it because the whole point of the operation thing is to hide the real name of it yeah all right this is uh Pooh bear it's a small business owner became becomes the target of a delta green operation after being flagged in an occult chat room this one is another the secret corporation is kidnapping people with an army of elite mercenaries in order to do experiments 
So it's similar to Extremophiles and similar to, oh god, what was the name? Uh, Way won the contest. It won the shotguns contest. Uh, People are fountains of information until I actually need something, and then suddenly the well runs dry. I'm looking at the list of ones that won stuff. It's literally Um, the one that won this year. This year? Yeah. Wait, are you from the future? The one that won this year is uh, Will's Got Under the Mountain. You're talking about. Isn't it like the one about um, the ice guys? Can you give us a little more to work? Jesus Christ. <laughs> we fucking talked about it on the show. My God. Why? why is uh, so it that, that one didn't win. I know what you're talking about. The one where you're I, the, they're ice kids and they're experimenting on, they're, they're, the ice is experimenting on kids they've taken care of. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That one was... Um, kidding me. All right. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like literal ice, not like immigration. Me cosmetics. too. No, <laughs> I no. Like, I don't remember th- ice. That one, that one didn't win though. Um, it's in the shadow of the valley. Second place. Okay, yeah, second place. And Jake, I can't believe that you didn't remember this scenario. I know, because I really you talked about one. how much you loved it, and you talked I like, about I like that you made one the and exact I like this one. same comparison here. If they're both Rainbow Six scenarios, like the original Rainbow Six novel, yes. Well, look, Tell us about to, that, Jake. We got to the center of that hedge maze. That was exciting. Okay, so uh, the, the reason it's another like Rainbow Six novel scenario is because there's like uh, organization that's doing evil stuff, but they have like a front on it that's good, like um, community improvement slash social work. Like in this one, it's like maternity services, but in Rainbow Six, I think they're like rounding up homeless people and being like, "Come stay at our shelter." Um, and all the while, there's all these like insidious things going on in the background. I just really like those types of scenarios. I know it's just a preference of mine, I guess. Yeah, I feel this has a few things that I've, I've talked about many times. I like it's, it's laid out well. It's got things bolted so you can sk- skim it really quickly. It, I do feel like almost anything over 20 pages universally needs some sort of an edit pass by like someone else because there's a lot but especially people who are writing for a contest where there's a short time frame a lot gets kind of assumed and so there's a lot that can be cleared up in almost all the scenarios but that's true of almost any writing so and i'm not going to pick on any any particular scenario for that uh so i really like this one um but the one fault that i think that i had with it was that it has the thing where it takes the niche skill and then it applies a penalty to it every time that the niche skill needs to be rolled i'm talking about like all the computer science checks to bypass different like security measures at the um, when you actually get into the secret compound I, I guess, I, I mean, I completely agree with you there. My thing is that I'm just kind of tired of elite armies of mercenaries bursting out of cars, guns blazing. I think that I stopped doing it in my own scenarios because I got tired of it, and I'm kind of tired of it elsewhere because it really just means that the players have got to tool up and do the same. And I also think that the way the scenario is put together is weird because it basically assume it, it starts off with the premise of the players doing surveillance but then assumes they do nothing when this gang of elite badasses rushes the place with automatic weapons yeah I, I thought about that too there's no way in hell that someone isn't going to at least try to break into the building while they think no one's home uh i love the monster at the end i think the monster's great because it's it's like creative and original you know, I mean, it's not super, super original. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a gross blood drink, sex monster, or whatever. But it's, it's, it's not like the, just the strange it's not just, vampires. Yeah, it's not just a recycled um, creature from the Hamlet's book, which is great. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mentioned it, or I was going to mention it under another scenario, but now it's good as any. But the one of the prompts was a mythos entity 
a lesser known mythos entity, i.e., not from the Handros Guide. We got a lot of really cool things, which I, I think really that like. should be a prompt in every contest in the future. I agree. Shrug us, you know? <laughs> I like that yeah. prompt a lot. It was the most used prompt too. So uh, uh, it was it, tied tied for most use. Yeah, it goes. It just goes to show that like people want to do that. They just need like a little gentle kick in the derriere to get them started. Ironically, the other most used one was an actually helpful NPC. So that is a low hanging fruit. It shows prompt. that people want NPCs that are helpful and not just uh, all out to get you. I can like put a guy who's selling click weapons into the thing and call him a helpful NPC. Oh, that's so that that's in that's in uh, this one. That's in this one because there's a there's a, a guy who sells. Uh, he sells items out of a sh- out of his van, but the weird thing is that all the items are just shit you can buy at a hardware store. There's all just surveillance gear. He doesn't sell any weapons. I think that the low hanging fruit prompt was a bit of a cop out. That said, I used it myself, but still, I like having actually helpful NPCs, and I wish I could do it more. There is there is an odd element of like Delta Green offering to buy a book, sell a book to a guy, and, and you know you comment on this how the the money comes off at a few places, but it's just a really specific mechanic that doesn't seem necessarily tied to anything. Well, it's not a mechanic; it's clearly just a hand wave for how the players get their gear. But there's enough levels of detail there that it looks like it's setting up that the money is a finite resource. So the case officer tells you that you're going to fund the operation basically by selling the tome to this guy and you're going to get $15,000. And then the handler makes a point of saying that you're probably going to have money left over. So be sure to bring that back to Delta Green when you're done. But then you go to the NPC and he can't actually afford the $15,000. So to me, when I'm reading that, I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe I can't afford everything I need or everything I want to do this operation. And then you meet with the guy who sells you the gear and it turns out nothing has a price on it. It's all just like, it's just a weirdly specific level of detail. You know, uh, Tom, I literally just had this conversation uh over a, a game called Esoteric Enterprises yesterday, because that is another game that has money given in really exact dollar amounts, but no prices for any items in an abstract system for paying for them. Except in that game, it's even worse because you actually just can't buy stuff with the money. You're risking your, oh, life, okay. to hunt, you're risking your life to find treasure, but you can't spend it. Uh, but in, in this case, I completely agree, but I also just think it's weird that this character is just selling mundane surveillance equipment like stuff that the characters might just have already yeah that's valid i don't think there's a great reason given for why you need to get everything from this guy rather than other sources but i kind of like that idea if you're playing a more lo-fi like definitely illegal off the books kind i would of thing. i would I'd like, like this character it. with the van full of bullshit if he sold if he was like a a, a weapons dealer that you could call up to get like some seriously good shit for a, a, a operation but in this case, yeah, it's, it feels like an odd inclusion. It feels like maybe there was going to be more. The writer had more plans for the money, and so you'd have to actually manage how you spend it. But either it got dropped for a time or whatever. But I've always been a fan of rather than giving players a monetary amount, just give them a number of uh, expenses, you know, acquisitions, or expenses, and then yeah. uh, instead of money for two, you know, two acquisitions from the sky in the truck, and there's four things there you want. Now the players have to make choices. Oh, oh so, 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 Jake, both you and myself have done sting operations of selling fake tomes in the past. Yes. And oh, every God. single time we try this, the players don't like. I think I think it's just that players genuinely don't understand what a sting operation is. They don't understand that the object that they're selling is fake, and they just need to give it to the guy. 
because yeah. they'll immediately like black bag the first person who touches it rather than seeing where they go and who they give it to, or they'll spend hours arguing over how to deliver the object. God, yeah. What if we rented an Amazon locker? Do you guys know about what Amazon lockers are? Well, anyways, here's a 15 minute explanation about how Amazon lockers work. <laughs> I, was, I was dying. I was like, guys, just take the fucking book, please. Yeah. Uh, overall, I think that this is a, uh, over it's an all right scenario. I think it would be pretty easy to fix the stuff that I have wrong with it if I wanted to run it. Yeah, I say so. Just speaking generally, we got less submissions this year than than the last few years. I think a lot of these were more fleshed out, except for a couple of cases we'll talk about later, probably. But I think all of them, like if someone took all these and was going to put them into an anthology and you know did a pass on them, they'd all be most of them would be really good. Are anything else for Pooh Bear? Why was it named that? Do we know? Uh, so the the user's username is i think papa g and he's using pooh bear the name as a reference to the leader of china ah that's illegal oh China. man now we can't you can't play the green box over there hey, now hey, We're if, banned. You're, hey, if, you, if you're listening to this in uh china congratulations you just committed a hit crime keep it up it's the only hope we have and uh second <laughs> Uh, pour one out for our brothers at AO3. Absolute chads refusing to bow to government censorship. Anyway. Also, sorry you're going to die from coronavirus. Whoops. Yeah, but that's also true of us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, different reasons. Anyway. Let's talk about Time Out of Shadow by Idas. This one is a scenario about a company doing time experiments that create alternate realities that are then devoured by Callie, the goddess of eating realities. And every time she eats a reality, she gets closer to the prime reality, which triggered a conspiracy of Yithians to try and stop this from happening, which then triggered a counter conspiracy of fucked up Yithians to try and make it happen. It's very high concept, but wouldn't they want to keep making alternate realities to feed her and keep her away from the main one? That's an excellent question for the scenario author because I'll tell you right away, aside from what I just said, I have no idea what the fuck's happening in this scenario. I basically told him after he finished because he, he cleaned it up a lot and it is better than it used to be, but it's very hard to understand and I don't think I've, I've... I've seen maybe one person who said they figured out what was going on after reading it. I think it would have worked best if this was like three scenarios, each connected by the overarching thread, because that way he could just focus on one thing each time. Yeah, I found a lot of really neat. It's a severed time ritual and the fact that like people can send you a message and then basically poof out of existence and the only all you have is the memory of doing it. Like that's a neat mechanic to play with. This is this is like I don't know how to often say this, but this is a thirty-five page scenario that probably should be sixty with a lot more explanation. Well, so one of the problems is that there's an NPC in here who has like good and evil versions of himself warring across time, and it makes it very difficult to read and understand the whole thing. Which is kind of which is a little tragic. Cause I, think, I think the overall you know playing in this mini campaign I think would be very fun as, a, as an agent because there's a lot going on. If you played it with a person who wrote it who knows everything about it, it's just a tough read. Um, I had to read this three or four times before I got a good sense about what was going on with it. Um, I like the thing, like it tells the handler like things that were but aren't there by like striking through the text. But that should have come out as like, like an admin line. note, like at the very beginning, I think. Yeah, it should have been on the second line of the scenario because I, I may have the same comment. Like, I'm confused why are these things all like the, the, the person does not finish from right in this scenario. Oh, no. And then 10 pages later. Oh, here it is. OK. Makes sense. And uh, yeah, I know it's about like alternate realities. And then it mentions like uh, the Mandela effect, you know, like Berenstain Bears versus Berenstain Bears. But I saw like a couple of like three different ways that the corporation was spelled throughout the document. And I was thought that because of the complexity of the alternate realities that maybe I was missing something. 
Yeah, it's hard to tell if that's a bug or a feature. I think I think that's stuff like that annoys me because I understand like why you do it because yeah, the name of the company changes because of the timeline, but like it makes it very hard to control F for shit. Well, I wasn't sure yeah. if it was intentional or not. Yeah, but I don't care if it is or not. Be- being annoying intentionally is still being annoying. <laughs> I would absolutely rec- have recommended, and that, like 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 generally, you're you know you're saying it's part of the thing, and I'm saying it's part of usability. And in general, I think this scenario could have used less thing and more usability. <laughs> so maybe. I, I think it should be cut into slices. One slice is about the company that erased itself from time. Maybe one slice is about the time cloud. One slice is about the Ithian warring against himself. Maybe one can be about the cool alternate realities that are created by the bubbles and the Mandela effect. And then you can run those games in sequence and have it be part of a larger conspiracy. They were going for like a one night of doom type thing. And it could it could work. Tom, you played in this. I did. I, did. I was in the playtest for this scenario. And how did One Night of Doom work out? Uh, it was a little overwhelming, to be honest. Uh, I remember we were making some good progress. We had just started to realize, based on some really creepy Instagram posts, that people were basically being erased from time or like pulled out of the world. And then in very quick succession, we had the bag suddenly delivered to us. And then we suddenly encountered this NPC agent Revenant who very quickly told us that the world was going to end at 3 a.m. And it felt like a bunch of different plot elements were kind of sweeping us away. I hate Groundhog Day scenarios, but I think this one might be a good synergy with that just because there's so much shit happening at once. And it might be nice if the players get the opportunity to explore different things rather than just having... One of the, one of the problems with, with these scenarios that, that are like one night and you have a lot of shit happening at once is that it's impossible to know at the beginning what the effect of any of your decisions will be. So right. There were a bunch of it's sorry, just, you it's, go. Which, no, no, it's, it's just which of these things do I want to grab onto completely at random almost. Right, because there were a bunch of elements being introduced at the same time. And it was kind of hard to get a handle on any of them or what we want to look into. It's like that plays into what Max was saying about running in other different scenarios. Then you can introduce them slowly, and then they can all culminate in a fun session. Okay, I, I, anyone anyone else got got to rocks to throw this one? Because I, I like I like this one. I like I think that uh, if the pieces were were sliced appropriately, it'd be a lot of fun. No, I really really love this concept. I just wish that I could understand it a little bit better. But also, we were able to destroy the machine. We able we snuck inside the building and used the bag to smash the machine. We end up getting that last scientist eaten by um, Tindalos. Kevin, you're you're a big um, fan of the film Aqua Teen Hunger Force, right? Uh huh. Yep. No, no, he means how did we get here? The machine. Yeah, but but the machine doesn't work. Nothing. I mean, I, I follow. No, it's not making me laugh. I did it. It ain't making me laugh, but I did it. There you go. <laughs> oh, also, right. just reading the scenario, there's a lot of stuff that didn't come up. Like, we never interacted or knew anything about the time cloud. Like, when we were told, well, at least when I was told that the world was going to end at 3 a.m., I wasn't sure if that was a real thing or just this NPC was trying to, like, manipulate us. Yeah, I think, again, like, I, I genuinely don't know how I would put all this stuff into the same game because it seems like some of the effects are mutually exclusive. Like, you have reality erasing at the same time as you have an alien that can travel through time. I think they're just... I think it could all be one scenario. I think there might need to be a little better or stronger firewalling between certain elements. So, like, you don't have to throw every single thing into uh, one session. 
you can just sort of pull different elements and rely on those. Yeah. Maybe like maybe like once you deal with this problem, you know, this alien who's fucking around or this company, the thing that they were holding back comes out next. Like once you once you fix the problem of, of the realities being devoured, then the Ithians are able to escape and start fucking with you, and then the anti-time cloud comes or whatever. Yeah, that would be an interesting idea. That would certainly help kind of create this rolling sense of impending doom. The only thing, like the last thing I have to say about this is that in all ways put physical and special agent Volta. That's the guy with the Hawaiian shirt, the stolen phone, the cargo shorts, the flip flops. <laughs> I was like, how, how did the author stalk me to create this character? I mean, you wear that on your sleeve, you know, which is Hawaiian themed. <laughs> All right, uh, so parting shots, good. I really like this scenario. I just wish uh, it was presented a little bit more clearly. All right, let's talk about if I could turn back time. Okay, well, uh, we ragged on um, Time Out of Shadow a little bit, but at least that one was complete. Yeah, I feel kind of bad saying that, but there's there's two scenarios that were submitted that I really don't, they're not done. I almost don't want to... I almost didn't want to count them, but it is what it is. And this is unfortunately one. This is a really interesting premise. What's Pretty premise? wacky. So you're sent back in time to before the Mediterranean was formed with a small nuclear device to to blow up the the Straits of Gibraltar and create the Mediterranean Sea. When you get there, everything's gone to shit with this massive like Cold War time war with like eight eight men and Soviets, and it's a really wacky premise. I love it, but it, there is no finish. <laughs> Yeah, Tetrarch shared this with me, and I told him you need to you need to narrow the scope of this massively because you're you're basically writing yourself uh, orders to create this huge amount of content to populate this hex crawl that you're making. And it's more than that, it's a, it's a fucking splat book. Yeah, it's like a whole source book about this, this you know Cold War time out of time, whatever. I agree with Mel, and it definitely reads like a hex crawl where you're traveling to different points of this ancient Mediterranean basin from like Eastern Europe to Northern Africa. He said he was going to write it for Twilight 2000, but he wrote it for Delta Green instead. Yeah, I feel like this would be better in another system because it doesn't really... I mean, my thoughts on what is Delta Green is are, are pretty clear, and this is wildly outside of that, which is fine sometimes. It's sort of like a con game, but if this was a different system, you could do a lot. You could do a lot more with it. I think the other thing that is uh, it reminds me a lot of a story called uh, "The Big Time" by Fritz Lieber. Lieber. It's a story about a future war that has people kidnapped from different times and realities, and so you have. Uh, like Hussars from Imperial Russia fighting alongside like uh, moon men and Amazons from the Greek times and uh, robots from the distant future. And it's a similar case where uh, every time they, every time they, they, they like do a battle, it fucks up history more. So first, like, you know, Nazis in World War II, but then um, they stop that from happening by going back in time and kidnapping Einstein when he's still a baby so that he can develop nukes for the right side. And then uh, it, it's it's a very similar feel to this one. Uh, totally bonkers. Uh, I think this one could have used being a little more bonkers because as it stands, I don't think there's quite enough like crazy, besides the eight men, there's not enough like crazy um, prehistoric shit to do. There's like people from alternate timeline USAs, like a communist USA and one that's run by the Aztec empire and one that's run by like high Brazil, some kind of ancient empire. Yeah, give me more of that though. This is true. 
Yeah, and I mean, there were, I found at least one just sentence that just wasn't even finished, which is frustrating because I don't know what they were going for there. And then, Tom, I know you had the same kind of thought I did where your mission is to go back in time in theory. Your mission is to go back and blow up and create the straight to Gibraltar with a bomb. And when you get there, everyone's trying to stop that from happening. And it's like, but that's like other people on your allies are trying to stop that from happening, but that's what you want to have happen. So it's not very clear if that's supposed to be a point of contention or you're supposed to convince them or just do it. Right. There's some kind of implied conflict with, like, I guess the American garrison at this prehistoric rock of Gibraltar, where they're trying to stop you from doing the very thing you were sent back in time to do by the same people who sent those first Americans back. What if the orders changed in our timeline and the people back then don't know that the orders have changed because they have no way of communicating with them or verifying the authenticity? That's entirely reasonable, but it's not explained. It's just like the... um, Let me read the exact quote. The American forces strive to hold it, terrified that the pillars of Hercules will be blasted open and flood their sights. But then the whole reason Majestic 12 sent you back is that they want you to blow up the pillars of Hercules and flood the Mediterranean. I feel like, uh, I think it was implied, it might be implicit, and if it's implicit, then I just missed it, but I think it's implied that, like, you basically get sent back here for, like, five years, and you do your tour in this, like, alt-crazy, you know, prehistoric time, but then you go back, you go to, like, Atlantis, and, like, come back in future, back to the future, which I think is would be hilarious. You can, like, go serve in this thing, do, do your five years of, like, combat time in you know fighting with the eight men of gibraltar and then come back to like a perfectly normal kind normal world and be like well you know i, little, I think i did my job there. i think i think yeah, I, like, did, 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 did i did i did we win sir it's not like a like a sound of thunder where you come back in and like um adelaide stevens is the president now wait i think that's the wrong that's that's adelaide uh, stevenson you might be thinking of yeah 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 but they ran against eisenhower right anyway um i can't remember I, I, that's another thing. This scenario taught me about what the Zanklian uh, flood, flood was. I was not familiar with that concept before now. Like, just the word Zanklian. Pretty Zank, pretty Zank meme. Oh, uh, the other thing I really liked was that both parties were just camping the spawn zone for when you come into this. <laughs> but they're camping that's it good. with, uh, like, um, the Davy Crockett nuclear launchers. That's pretty cool, yeah. Reminds yeah, so, me like like the best part in two where you go and you find the Davy Crockett in the museum and the game's like, Do you want to press this button? And you're like, Hell yeah, and the game's like, Are you sure you really want to press this button on this nuclear weapon that appears like it's still armed? Well fuck yeah, I do, and then you die. So yeah, I think uh just this needs to be written more and then I'd like to read it. I'd like to read it when it's done. What can I say? Um any last words? Right, let's talk about uh our first uh Melanbrand scenario, which is you can be sure that I will never stop believing. Uh, do we want to do the Pisces scenarios in just just together as a, as a as a triad since they're kind of sequential and rely on a shared understanding that's established by the first one? Um, I'm down for that. We could. I only yeah. randomized it so it wasn't in submission order, but that'd be fine. Okay, yeah, that sounds then, fair. So so I wrote three scenarios about Pisces. I mean, I wrote another one, but I didn't submit it because I already, I already submitted a lot and I couldn't get the prompts to work correctly. I wrote three scenarios about Pisces. Uh, the first is called fuck. All glory to the hypnotoad. You should know this. All glory to the hypnotoad. Then love bug. Then you can be sure all that I will never stop believing. And I did this because I had an idea that I liked for Pisces, which is that after they got rid of all the shans, they got really. Um, there were a lot of bad feelings left over from that civil war, 
and people realized that they could use the bugs as an excuse to uh, keep killing each other, keep getting rid of people they didn't like. And so now in Pisces, everyone's got their own slice of the treasure. Everyone's got their own uh, agenda. And if you piss off the wrong people, they will say that you have bugs in your head and they will have you trepanned. All right. So this, I assume, is not... Um, this is your own... Some of this is your own invention. It's not necessarily what the new... Pisces canon. I wasn't even aware there was a new Pisces canon, and when you guys posted excerpts from it, it seemed really boring. So I just kept doing my own thing. All right, yeah, that was that's what I thought. I wasn't sure. So that's, I mean, that is what it is. It just it's too bad. Like you've it creates this like schism where like you have to you either have to like run like a Melon Red Pisces game or a, a Arcane Pisces game. Not that that's going to be well. It's problem. it's simple. If you want to, if you want recycled lore from the original Countdown book, run the Arc Dream one, and if you want something different, run mine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like what you come up with. So, just I like, want to make, make sure that's clear to folks. Like, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going off of the examples you guys have shared with me. But I found myself pretty unexcited by the the modernized Pisces that they put out. So, I did have a question for you on on the Hypnotoad here. You yeah. So, first, really... first, going to explain, going to explain the basic right. concept. Uh, in All Glory to the Hypnotoad, there is a creature called Beatus, which is a giant frog that uses that hypnotizes you and then devours you and uses that to store energy it is a collector for bioenergy created by wizards in ancient times it lives in a castle sometimes it leaves the castle and eats people and the three idiots who pisces sent to guard it have just been living in the castle and the three people in the castle are are have been uh leeching energy off of beatus to uh give themselves psychic powers and eventually they leech too much and it and the creature leaves the castle to start eating people again to recharge his energy reserves and that triggers pisces to investigate it i like this one um it's a lot of framework around a pretty simple concept the monster got out of its pin what are you going to do about it i'm curious you have a bunch of really neat social interactions between looking at the town the various groups that are on the case um and i'm curious in the play tested like my feeling would be because it stems from a person disappearing in the woods so my if, if i was playing i'd go right for that disappeared spot and try to like track whatever happened so i feel like i might miss all those like in-town interactions Has that happened or are there ways nope. to stop that yeah how do you introduce those elements which elements uh, the like if people go straight to the castle um what, what I, I think kevin's asking what makes people want to go to the town that's around it to look for the missing person, right? Because the township is also looking for the missing person. You're trying That's to correct. find like where the toad went. Well, I'm sorry. You're trying to find where the toad went. Follow, yeah, yeah, I mean, follow you... the destruction, like uh, like the trail and like the missing. When, when, when you oh, look so for the missing you, person, you're looking so, for so, the toad. So you're, so you're pausing a scenario where the players immediately go into the woods, immediately find the trail, and immediately find the frog. Yeah, that seems like the easiest dots to connect but it seems like the easiest you, way to you, die you miss a bunch of the scenario when you do that so is that okay well that's not what the players did idea. so i think you're positing a scenario that uh is you know certainly possible but it's not what happened and yeah if you do that you will straight up get killed you because, because well because the thing is is that pisces in pisces you're not immediately your job isn't to immediately grab a rifle and kill the monster. So if you find a creepy slime trail that leads off into the forest, your first instinct should not be to follow it. The thing that stood out to me was the mechanic that you have near the end of the game uh, that's supposed to stop like overly antagonistic playstyles to kind of like mold players into doing what you want them to do because of like problematic playstyles. I know that's like some frustration you've expressed with us before about um, people going off and just like immediately gunning down everything, not interacting with any civilians and 
uh, you know, just taking like the burn everything, destroy everything approach to the scenario. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Like the trepanations a little bit? The trepanation is, is uh, a mechanic where if you, you're, you're a fit. So in, in Pisces, you have an official uh, badge from the government that allows you to do bad things. If you do too many bad things and don't, cover up that it was you that did them or if npcs do bad things and get them blamed on you then the off the your uh your um case officer can only do so much to protect you and if you do too much bad stuff then they say this guy's got bugs in his head and they cut a hole in your skull when when i first read about this i thought uh man Malin is really aggro about like uh player styles and everything but then when i realized that you could also as a player like turn this around and have it done to someone like a rival or whatever you can do it almost like pvp or versus like npcs you could have that done to them i was like oh okay actually actually like that a lot sort of like a like a post game meta where you say oh do you think it was me that shot the constable no that was uh simmons over there look Here's uh he's got the gun that did it. And it's a gun uh, you planted or whatever. It was my wasn't my intention to make the players fight each other, but that absolutely can't happen. And it's also like um uh, we talk about consequences for actions, and that's uh, another like almost more more enforceable method than um like the prosecution and trouble at work rules that uh, regular Delta Screen uses. You could also kind of if you wanted to ad lib uh you know, pluses or minuses onto the score result for the trepanations. Like mm-hmm. if the player just like wild card something like from like fucking left field, and you're like, okay, that's a, that's a paddling, that's a drilling. Nice. Um, at first, I was kind of skeptical about um, all this work that you're doing with Pisces, but Melon, please keep it up because it's more interesting than I thought it would be at first. I was really skeptical at first, but uh, I'm warming up to it. And maybe I'll write one myself, or I'll be like uh, everyone else on the server that promises to write one, but then doesn't. Next scenario in this in the the queue, as helpfully delineated by Kevin, is Lovebug. Lovebug is the second Pisces scenario. It's set in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and the plot is that there is a creature that has spread an infection of strange insects that the paramilitaries in Belfast are distributing as a street drug. And I got this idea from a news article about how uh, the old all the loyalist paramilitaries in uh, Northern Iron were, not all of them, but a lot of them had basically just become uh, drug smuggling gangs, which had then uh, caused the IRA to ratchet up its already militant anti-drug stance. And so a lot of the street fights that you're seeing now and like kneecappings as such and other punishment beatings in uh, the sort of interface areas of Northern Irish cities are the result of this conflict. I'm so, thankful you put like a summary, a brief, brief summary about the violent history of the area there, because um, I'll probably be the first to admit that I don't know the intricate details of the most the, so the mo- most people there. in the United States know a lot of memes about Northern Ireland and the Troubles. They sure, know like, the song "Come Out You Black and Tans." They know that um, you know Seamus get the fertilizer stuff like that. So thank you for uh, that. It's another thing that this scenario contest taught me. I had a lot of help making some of the uh, assets in this scenario, like the. I think it was Agent Obtuse, one of the submitters for this contest, who suggested that the Pisces Northern Irish headquarters be a decommissioned prison ship because uh, that's inspired by an actual 
decommissioned prison ship that was used during the Troubles to hold IRA men. Uh, Tetrarch was very helpful at, um, I think some of the names he was able to correct the spelling on because he was like, oh, that's a, that's the English spelling. And the, the, um, if he's a, if he's a staunch Republican, it would be more like this. That's helpful. Um, so this is about, uh, a new drug and you used, um, the monster was, uh, Ihort, right? That's correct. That's pretty cool. And I like the labyrinth that's in it because that's one of the things that gets attached to or is the labyrinth so like uh people being turned into ihorts brood which is just basically growing lots and lots of mini little mo- ihorts on it and uh i think body horror is nice when you compare it to uh the uh conflict here in northern ireland um it, at first you think oh that's not going to match but then uh it, it does the thing about this scenario is that when I ran the playtest, none of the none of like the paramilitary shit mattered because the players immediately figured out that Ahort was in the little cave in the mountains, and so they immediately got their rifles and went up there to hunt him. And then, so people using their meta knowledge to solve the scenario. No, they they didn't use any meta knowledge. Because oh. I know like some people are familiar with what Ihort is, and they just. Go in and I heard doesn't I heard doesn't live in the Morn Mountains in the in the stories so that doesn't help people. Yeah, fair enough. He lives in the Severn Valley or some shit. Right. So, did you like make any edits or rewrites when that happened? Try to drive the action. No, back to the... if the players want to go straight to the straight to the monster, that's their prerogative. And there would still have been there would still have been plenty of scenario left, but uh, they had exhausted most of their playtime. I didn't really feel like having them chase down more NPCs, so I cut it there. After they uh, they just barely escaped because Ahort, uh, one of them agreed to become a dispenser and the other disagreed, and so he was stabbed full of eggs. But the guy who got filled with eggs knew how to cast the Elder Sign, so he cast it, and all the little eggs inside him just died. And then the dude who was being converted into a dispenser uh, was able to just, even though he was webbed to the wall, he was able to call with his cell phone the rest of the group. And so uh, Rob Ogle and Sarah Darty, the head of the heads of uh, Pisces Northern Ireland came and rescued them at gunpoint before his genitals were converted into a drug bug dispenser. Yeah, I like that this is like a bug hunt with enough twists that it isn't just a you know a, a, a dungeon crawl firefight, but there is still elements of that. They tried to if you're trying to get them all, if you're trying to go into the the city. I forget what the name of the um the part of the city is. Yeah, I created a fictional Belfast neighborhood. It's based. The name is based on uh, real neighborhoods uh, throughout the UK that are called the Shambles because I think Shambles is a is a corruption of like a Norman word or a Saxon word or whatever for flesh shelf. It's usually a term for a neighborhood of butchers, but this one, I didn't want to use a real neighborhood because that would require me to do a lot of research about what the best area was. So I just decided that this one is a neighborhood that is crammed between two peace walls because it's got a Catholic neighborhood on one side and a Protestant neighborhood on the other. Also, Shambles sounds like a dimensional shambler, so that's fun. Yes, that's true, isn't it? Uh, I think that this... Adventure. Oh, the other thing about this one is that this this is I think what kind of crystallized uh, my thinking about interrogations versus surveillance because when the players found out that the dude was dealing drug bugs, the first thing they did was black bag him in like a crowded a crowded nightclub. They kind of they they you know tased him, beat the shit out of him, dragged him out of there. And the thing is, is that you can still kind of get away with that in Northern Ireland because if that happens, most people will assume that it was one of the paramilitaries that got him. Because there's because that type of kidnapping of a drug dealer and a, a beating of that type would 
most people would probably say, oh, that's the um, that's the that's an IRA cell that did it. But then they <laughs> but then they didn't have a plan for where to take him, so they just kind of dragged him around the streets and just interrogate him in a public park. That's hilarious. Um, did you get to use the uh, the point scoring system for antagonistic behavior that you introduced here? It's different than trepidation. Yeah. So so basically, they they got they got dinged because they they called and said, hey, you need to send a a, a team of badasses to rescue us. But that wasn't enough for the, uh, the 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 case officer to burn them. It was just enough to have the case officer say, "Please do not come back to Northern Ireland. Next time you want something done here, we'll do it ourselves." Uh, so yeah. if if you were going to like follow that up, that would just mean that like the moment that the player characters stood or stepped foot into the area, they'd instantly be like you know targeted by uh, IRA members or the other organizations. Yeah, I really, I like the, I like the, the milieu there of setting it in a modern Ireland with all the, all the things that ha- that, uh, with all the complications that brings. Um, when you played Destiny, what was the player's knowledge of, um, you know, the, the Northern Ireland canon, if you will? I it like typical American, or I don't remember. The main, the main thing that kept tripping them up is that they kept confusing loyalist with Republican when they're complete opposites. So I'd say someone was slinging drugs for the Ulster men, and they would say, "All right, you know, he's a staunch." supporter of what is it 32 county ireland i feel like i'm getting my number of counties mixed up you know maybe they'll take a couple extra off england anyway i had fun i had more fun writing this one than running it but i've gotten a lot of positive feedback on it so it's nice that it's exciting people's imaginations and i've just realized now that with this one with the ones that i have set in england and the ones that i have set in i have i have one section h game set in scotland that wasn't part of this contest and with those scenarios in the pile uh I now only have to make one of in Wales, and I'll have all four of the kingdoms represented. Well, then you got to do all the overseas territories. Those aren't kingdoms. There's no ancestral king of the Falkland Islands yet. Yet. <laughs> so, right, any, th- anything else for love? Anything else you want to say? Yeah, it's not. It's not a perfect scenario. I think that the. Um, mechanics for the bugs are a little overcomplicated. I made the intro more interesting because in the original draft, it was just you get told that there's a guy in the intensive care unit for having bugs in him, and then you have to go and like deal with the whole bureaucratic interaction with the doctor investigate. I was like, this is boring, and it's unrealistic that Pisces is immediately going to go to someone's house and see the bug burst out of them, but I would rather have it be unrealistic and fun than realistic and boring. Yeah, I think that was the right choice. I'm trying to make all of my scenario introductions more punchy because i think tom is absolutely right when he says that the briefing is the least interesting way to deliver the information if you can make it exciting make it exciting and um do you have anything else you want to move on to you can be sure that i'll never stop believing yeah i'll just get them all out of the way so this one was one that you and tom wrote together right yeah, I came to Tom with the initial idea, and he was helpful in the early stages for putting together stuff, because Tom is always the guy I go to when I do stuff with related to witches, because witches are cool. Tom, are you a witch? I don't have to answer that. If you're a witch, you uh, I mean, you, emphatically, you do. You either have to plead or be pressed to death for not giving a, a testimony. It's well, true. Uh, more uh, wait, just, I guess. Just throw you in the <laughs> pond and see if you float. Now... This scenario, I was—I ins- don't remember what the specific catalyst for it was, but the idea I had is that the Shans. Th- this is like dig- a deep dive into the the lore, original lore of Pisces. The Shans, the the bugs that originally controlled Pisces, were uh, extremely. Um, racist and intolerant of other religions because they worshipped Azathoth, the demon sultan, and it was not okay to worship any of the mythos cults. And so that meant that they, when they, when they took power in the United Kingdom's intelligence apparatus, they immediately went through 
like the occult underground and and killed off everyone else who did who supported other cults which to the rest of pisces looked like they were doing a good job protecting britain from monsters and so one but the one the one exception would would have been that the the cult of the black man which is the avatar of malathothep that is worshipped in the the the, this cult is a cult of Azathoth because they signed the name of the book of Azathoth. So the Pisces guys basically said to the daughters of the black man, it's super cool that you worship Azathoth. Azathoth. How would you like to be our state sanctioned witch cult? So like the CIA giving guns to paramilitaries in uh, assorted third world countries to foment rebellion. In this case, the Pisces supported the witch cult against the other cults of Britain. But the problem is that now that Pisces is no longer controlled by Shans and no longer kind of sending the checks to the Azathoth cult, the surviving other cultists from the other religions are pissed off and they're going to get payback. I know you normally um, uh, well, I guess it's, I guess it's not really the same way, but I don't normally you frown upon I think you frown upon scenarios where you start as like regular, you start as regular cops and end up in, in, end up part of Delta Green, but is this, so is this one where you start as regular cops and end up working for Pisces, or is Pisces more on the periphery of this one? This one is one where you start off as regular cops, and then you stop playing as them, you play as the Pisces agents. Oh, shit. Your cops uh, in a prologue scene. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yep. All right, my bad. This is this is interesting, because Kevin, you uh, ran Iconoclast like two or three times, which uses the similar device. Yeah, no, that's really good. I, just, I didn't catch the, uh, in, in my read there, I didn't catch that, so that's... Uh, I'll take the hit on that one. No, I have prologue is a really, not, really good device. And this is not something that was in the original draft you wrote up. This is something you came up with because you needed a really punchy start to the second session of this yeah, scenario. Exactly. Tom, I apologize because the original the original intro to this scenario was something that you prepared. Uh, that, but but I but after um, yeah, so so it's so t- Tom Tom's correct. The original the original intro to this scenario was that um, you're just sitting at your desk at the office waiting for a meeting when you get a phone call from Susie, the leader of the Azathoth cult, saying, you know, I tried this number because I tried all the other numbers and they didn't work. You assholes had better help me out because I'm in trouble here. And then Tom had a cool idea to to do this um, meeting with her at a place that is like, it's like an abandoned building, but when you go inside because the witches are fucking with it, it looks like it's uh, the original place, that it's still active. And there's all this all this stuff based on that. But then when I ran the second session, the second session begin began with, after the players realized they needed to round up all the witches, there was a, like, for protective custody. So it begins with, you are Ministry of Defense Police driving through the forest at night with this lady in your uh, cruiser. And then you hit a stag with flaming antlers in the middle of the road. And then you get attacked by knife-wielding cultists who try and kill you all and kidnap this lady. And then I realized, wait, this is a much more interesting intro to the beginning of the scenario than getting a phone call and having a narrative dialogue with an NPC. I'm a big fan of the prologue mechanic because it gives you a fun way to do stuff with kind of throwaways. If, if it's not clear that the cops are not the actual player characters for the entire scenario, then I need to change that. Um, the thing I appreciated the most out of this one was when you interview Susie. She's the uh, NPC, and it's assumed that there's going to be like a questioning of her. And I like that you laid out all the questions that are there. Uh, that's a format I'm going to steal from you from now on whenever there are people that are assumed to be questioned or interrogated. It's it's because it was to me it's important that NPCs give you some information, but oftentimes I have trouble thinking of what would actually be 
something that they'd reveal in a conversation. So I tried to, to, to map out here are the essential details that she'll part with freely. And one thing that you can do is in in the Pisces uh, system that I wrote up, if you're, you, if you're a guy who's uh, got the unnatural damage veteran package, you can be a former Shan host who was um, brain surgeried to get the Shans out. And that means that you know the Azathoth religion, you know the prayers to the to the um, the cradle of chaos, and so you can pretend to be an Azathoth cultist in order to get Susie to reveal more information to you, be- because you'll recognize what she is when you when you talk to her. That's all, that's also I don't think you guys ever saw that that behind the scenes bit from Iconoclast, but Iconoclast has a bunch of the clues as just like here's a question the players are going to ask, and here's the info they're looking for. So yeah. that's a really good uh, way to help handle it. The trouble is, of course, that you can't predict everything they're going to ask. Yeah. The main thing about this scenario that I have trouble with is, and I think other people will have trouble with, is that it is very long and has a lot of factions and activities for factions to do. And that's going to be difficult for people to to run the scenario if they ever try to run it because there's so much happening. I was a little bit confused. I had to read it twice to differentiate between the two different witch cults. Which cult? Uh, the witch, which cult? The who cult? <laughs> yeah. I'll throw you a bone this time, Kevin. It's all about uh, taking shots, you know? This one is my favorite of the scenarios I submitted for the contest, but it is also the one that I would recommend last if someone was interested in running a game that I wrote because it is very uh, over-elaborate for Intro to Pisces. Because <laughs> I was very cruel to other people who wrote very complicated scenarios. And this is one of them. Um, do we have any other thoughts here? All right. What's next on your randomized uh, list, Kevin? Is Operation Demon Line or... Don't go into that barn. Um, or if you're Can't tell us about this one. Don't go into that barn. Because it's a Tom Waits song title that uh, Max gave to me for it. Um, so uh, I'm going to be honest. This is basically a one-to-one port of Gideon Falls, which is a comic written by uh, Jeff Lemire. Uh, it includes the word Gideon Falls at least once. Yes, it did, because uh, my control F machine broke. Um, <laughs> agents are sent to a rural town in Red Rock Falls, Alabama, to investigate a missing pasture, and then um, they find a lot bigger thing is going on there. Much bigger thing. There's a a man who trapped a god inside of a machine and it was supposed to be like a genie in a bottle but it didn't work out very well for him i know that you wrote this to be very like free form and sandboxy um which i feel like is a lot easier it's a lot harder to pick up and run because there's a lot you have to have like a total understanding of it rather than being like a straightforward scenario but that was by design so yeah um i tried to presented in the way I thought I knew there would be like a lot of material to soak up so I wanted it to be um, usable by putting all the people and places up front and then introducing like what you can do um, in a way I just kind of tried to mirror um, fulminate Sentinels of Twilight because I like the way that presented information to you of things to do to like speed up the game or to slow down the game yeah and, those there is nice. uh, there's a very large amount of little weird weird freaky moments you can sprinkle in whenever it's narratively convenient for you jake you ran the scenario twice and it was very popular both times yeah i had a lot of fun running it both times um the first time i did it was with a group of four people and then the second time i did it as a solo game and it worked um it was a little bit harder as the solo game i ended up having uh let them 
like bring in like another character of theirs because uh, it is a little bit harder to solo, but it could be done as a solo game. Um, so, uh, like I said, this is pretty much a one-to-one port of Gideon Falls. I really like that comic book, and I would recommend uh, people read it. Max, you read uh, Gideon Falls after um, uh, pretty recently. What did you think about it as like a comparison piece? The comic was okay. It felt a little too much like there was just shit happening with no real like plot. I gave it a plot. Yeah, like that's the thing is that in the the comic's still ongoing. So there's the, in the comic it hasn't been explained what's actually happening yet. So Jake is kind of just making shit up, and I think Jake actually developed a much more uh, cohesive mythos for what's happening. So it's exactly like you developing a better Pisces. I wouldn't say that it's a better Pisces. It's a Pisces I'm more interested in. Fair. Uh, the elements I used for this one was uh, alternate timelines because once you go into that barn and you wish for something, uh, it's sort of like a monkey's paw where you get what you want, but it's like in a completely different reality. Um, and the friendly NPC and the lesser known mythos threat, the one I pulled on was I basically had to create things from it, kind of whole cloth, but it's Amon Gorloth, who is sort of like a a mythos reimagining of like Amon Ra, the Egyptian god. Um, something about he's supposed to have fallen out of power because the stars weren't in the line or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's boring. I'm just going to do what I want to do with it now. Because there's basically nothing written on it. Like I had, like, I did like a really deep dive on the internet and I found like a French Call of Cthulhu scenario about it. And uh, I painstakingly manually translated it through like Google Translate into English to try and get an idea. And even then I really didn't like that concept. So I just threw it away. Um, I'm trying to think there's really not much else to say about it you go there uh creepy shit happens to you the barn appears itself and then you get to make a wish and then uh the rug gets pulled out from underneath you when you go through the barn and you wake up in uh it goes from being like a sleepy alabama town to a bustling urban landscape that has the same name yeah i think there's a lot of evocative bits in this and it but it kind of relies on a handler to string them all together in the right order and make it work nothing, nothing wrong with that just a little bit extra lift there all right uh parting shots all right let's talk about uh operation wild bill this is the one by agent obtuse uh eco terrorists seize an oil platform and take hostages in the gulf of mexico and then they put up an occult sigil and agents have to go figure out what's going on yeah so the way it works you got your hostage situation with this cult on this oil platform but then you're secretly on a timer because one of the hostages is a deep one and his brothers and sisters are coming from the ocean to rescue him yeah i'll just have the one of the options when you get on if you get on board is you can kind of join up with him and you know stop the bad guy with your deep one ally or allies which is neat the thing about this scenario is that there's a very rich body of research options that lead to genuinely cool and interesting discoveries that add a lot of flavor to what would otherwise be very tired and forgettable elements like oh it's Shubnigrath again oh it's deep ones again whatever this the research is really cool the thing is though is that players in and maybe this maybe this goes back into meta knowledge but in delta green if there's ever a hostage situation you need to immediately go tactical because anything the hostage takers say or do is a delaying tactic until they do wizard shit. They have, they have no plans to let the hostages leave alive, or if they do, it's only because they've got an even worse plan. So you need to accept the losses and kill them immediately. And if you don't believe me, go find every other scenario on Fairfield that has a hostage-taking element that's the same. Yeah, I can, I can see that. 
And so if, if you kind of use a, some sort of a contrived reason to keep the agents out and investigate, they're just going to push harder against that rather than actually doing the investigation. I really like the mechanic they included for you can you, they, you can it's an official attack that you can make with soldiers of various elite special forces units, et cetera, et cetera. What I like about this though, and it's different, and I'm going to, I would, I would, I would absolutely use this in a scenario of my own is that the mechanic for the special operators is that they are good enough at their jobs and skilled and so on that you don't role play and mechanically simulate each combat role where each of them fires their gun. You just use a, they have, they have like a, a, a percentage of combat power and you roll that each time they clear a room and if the roll is below the power they clear the room without taking any casualties and if they if you fail the roll then their power is reduced and so they get more and more impeded as they as they go through the rooms and then there's other stuff for like you know here's how you adjust that based on if you use a, a, a flashbang or whatever, or if, if there's a wizard, but it's a cool mechanic for making that a lot simpler, and I support it. Yeah, I like it's a it's a very narrative it's a very very narrative way to do the combat, which is just solid. I don't think it's narrative. I think it's just a more abstract level of mechanical simulation. On the uh, inverse of that, if you wanted to, you could run it almost like a tactical minis game. If that's something that your group is more interested in, because um, the author included a series of battle grid maps near the end. Yeah, he made them in the uh, the dungeon mapper uh, RPG map. So I'd say that you need to figure out how to convert five foot squares into meters in a more elegant way, and you could just run this like a little tactical mini game if you wanted to. It could be fun if your group is into that sort of thing. I do. I do wish. Uh, or I really like scenario. So any racks I throw are out of liking it, but I wish he'd found a real map of a rig because there's many out there because the one that he's got is more of a dungeon than an oil rig which kind of takes me out of it kevin there's a lot of stuff in this scenario that normal people don't care about but you care about a whole lot that's true that was an invitation to elaborate <laughs> no there's uh i would say in terms of the coast guard stuff um he got about 90 percent, which is pretty damn good so i think he was i think he's, I, I talked to him today i think he's gonna do a rewrite or an an update of this uh, help him get nail some of the details down and maybe i can find him some uh oil rig maps too um i thought that some of the uh like if you go to like the part four uh where it tells you like how to do these sort of like elegant one roll combat things i thought some of them were a little bit more punitive than others it's hard to combat somebody who has a dead man switch for the bomb which i mean that's true in real life but that's just me being uh oh that's not fair but i mean maybe that's the point uh, but i really i really like this i i think uh the only the only tweak i'd make is some you could increase the timeline a little bit so that maybe you have more time to investigate and then things go south and you have to storm the rig that might let players do both without you know making it unnecessarily unreasonable are you your thoughts on operation oil rig nightmare aka wild bill Oh, all right. Uh, let's talk about uh, Moonlight Derby, such that it is. Um, so this is the one where it's got the really evocative prompt that out of the North Pacific, a battered and bruised Iowa-class battleship has been sighted, spotted sailing towards Pearl Harbor. The agents must board the ship, discover where it came from, negotiate with the crew, and either send it back to where it came from or send it to the bottom for good. And I need to say that if it weren't for that, um, the hook prompt right there. I probably wouldn't know what the author's intent was because this is an incomplete scenario. Yeah, this is a, a pretty wildly incomplete, which is too bad because there's a lot of really interesting things here. 
Um, and then you, you could do a lot with this idea. There just needs to be a scenario here. I really, really like the parts that they do have um, where, you know, you have this, uh, Iowa class is like World War II, right? Yeah. And it's been retrofitted and it has all this like future tech on it. And then you're like, where the hell did this come from? Why does it look like our ship? You know, that's a fun, uh, fun thing. But again, um, it looks like he focused on the parts that I necessarily wouldn't really care about. That's like the, the weapons that are on the ship, how to navigate the ship. Like you have to roll to navigate the ship. And I'm just wondering, Kevin, maybe you could help me with this. Wouldn't like parts of the ship be labeled? Wouldn't it be like, yeah, that's the left to the bridge, right to the mess hall, whatever. I mean, it's it's easy to get lost on, on big ships. Ask me about drunkenly stumbling around the wrong ship, but it's not, especially it's not impossible. It's, as soon as you get your bearings or read the, you know, read the the signage or whatever, you can find a way around. So, I mean, I think a mechanic for being lost might be nice, but forcing a roll is, I think, unnecessarily punishing. There's also no map, which so it really doesn't matter. You just state a destination and, and go there. You know, he's got a really cool idea between like the ship is kind of broken into three factions, but there isn't enough interaction there. Um, and what, so what's really frustrating is I know because he's mentioned it in, in the Discord, it's like he just started it late and rushed it, and it's like, well then don't submit it, just finish it and publish it later. Don't rush a unfinished scenario because you started it late. I mean, I didn't submit some of this year because I didn't have time to, so I just took that as a as a sign not to write one. Um, so another thing that the guy assumed is that you're gonna like either fight this ship or you're going to use this ship to fight. I'm assuming because there's like uh, all these like weapon stats and all this other stuff. I'm not sure. Excuse me. Sorry. I had a hiccup. Let me start that again. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what the intent was. Like you show up, check it out, and then you fight it or board it. And that's pretty much all that they have written. I wish they would have taken the time that they put like on all the stat blocks and that and given more information about the occupants and uh, how they would react to being boarded by Americans. They know they're going to... Wait, I think that the ship, when it, when it originally left, it was supposed to go back in time, but they ended up like navigating through the multiverse or whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, the ship the ship shows up here basically asking for help. So I think it would have been really neat if there was like the first third of the scenario was, you know, investing in the ship and dealing with the factions. And then the second and third thirds were like rounding up a bunch of, you know, operators who want to go into another dimension and help these guys out and then going back into that world and fighting. That'd be really neat. None of that is existing. There's, there's a, a lot of details spent on like super mundane stuff and almost none on like the really exciting parts which like oh here's another dimension you know like do they have cool arcana technology stuff like that i like the monster but it has like a very very small section devoted to it you might even miss that there was a monster because um it doesn't even appear in the uh, outline on the side of the document to help you navigate it Oh, it does. Uh, NPCs and enemies. It's called a passenger, and it's uh, they give you like a picture of it and then some stats for it. And that is cool because if you board the ship and you have to help the survivors from this interdimensional monster, that's a scenario. Yeah, and fighting inside of a uh, Iowa class battleship magazine would be fucking terrifying. Wicked tight, all circular, like no line of sight. It'd be a really fun place to do evocative combat set piece. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to be to beat this guy up anymore. It's just not done, and they should finish it. I really want to see it when it's done, and I 
want to be on this guy's side because I like um, things that take the military. Like, I like the military aspects of Delta Green. I want to see some more of that. We spent a lot of time on like domestic investigations and uh, that sort of stuff, but I like uh, like the military side of things. I, I wrote like a B-17 scenario a few years ago, and I kind of did the same thing he did here, where I went into like how you know how far can this plane fly, what kind of weight or like what sort of uh, armament can it have, and uh, I mean I like lost focus of the scenario. I think that uh, the same tips that were given to him could have applied to me about. You know, think about what the focus is. Don't worry about the fact that it can carry one 2,000 pound bomb versus four 500 pound bombs. Um, uh, the, the only, so there's two other things I'll say just quickly, then I'll, I'll be good to go. But there's a lot of rolling to fail, a lot of like multiple rolls of the same thing, which I always hate. We've talked about that at length. But, you know, obviously the person who wrote this feels like they didn't do a good job, but don't ever write in your fucking scenario, this part's lame. Sorry. At that point, just delete it and start over. Don't admit that <laughs> in writing in the scenario. If you're not a fan of yourself, how can I be a fan of you? Yeah, exactly. Because anybody who did like it now thinks it's shit because you told them it's shit. So don't do that. All right. Next up is where moth and rust consume. Oh, yeah. From uh, Will Zimmer. In this scenario, a group of PX Penumbra parapsychologists seek the truth in the post-industrial wasteland of one of America's hottest real estate markets. So, anywhere. They must find the secret of why the strange graffiti of the moth keeps appearing, where these buildings are going and what's taking their place. It is a scenario that can be that is designed for PX Penumbra, which is the successor to Phenomenex, the UFOlogy group from the original Delta Green, but it can also be run as a Delta Green scenario. I really like a lot of the ideas here. I just found the scenario like well laid out, but almost but really hard to read and understand. I disagree. I think it's very easy to read, but it's not well laid out in the sense that I think it's provi- it privileges being very evocative over describing things. For example, like the table of NPCs at the beginning contains no useful information about them. It just contains like, oh, we'll, we'll show you. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a fiction writing rather than a runnable scenario. But if you pass that, there's a lot of interesting things here. I do like using PX Penumbra. You know, it's another way to introduce potential newcomers to Delta Green without having to explain to them all the Delta Green lore. I think people can easily understand that they are, you know, ghost hunters, essentially, and have yeah, that, yeah. and then come and, you know, find out these other things along the road. So I like that. I like that it also, it goes really heavy on the theme. And it uses a different group rather than Delta Green, because that already kind of clues you in that it's going to be a different kind of game. If I ran this, I think I would run it as Delta Green, though. And I say that because so much of the content in it only really appears if the players start pushing and poking things. And unarmed civilians are not as good at pushing and poking things as federal agents. Yeah, but ghost hunters are morons. They will definitely poke and push things. So I think if you have some good role players who are really, really into the whole, you know, ghost hunting milieu, I think you he, he, he wouldn't have a hard time. I do like, in comparison to the other uh, scenarios where you play as like someone who gets introduced to the unnatural, that these are people who already believe in it. So you don't have to go through the, the kind of tooth grinding phase of pretending that there's a rational explanation when in reality, the players all know that it's a mythos. You want to believe it's got my favorite line from any of the contest entries in this one. It's uh, it's about the website PX. Um, is it PX Penumbra itself? 
The community is full of trolls, griefers, and ironic hipsters and meme lords. It's the internet. Swimming through a cesspool of shit posting doesn't come with a life jacket. And that's, the internet that's, is an untreated sewer. That's <laughs> that's what it is. I uh, as an aside, if you think the internet should be nice and civilized and you know the kind of thing you can show any like church lady or soccer mom, then, then you're part of the goddamn problem. I mean, it's an untreated sewer by design. If it was a treated sewer, it would be controlled by one thing. So, as an aside, I once tried to explain what Delta Green was to someone uh, who had no idea. So, so I was like, Dungeons and Dragons, but you're like paranormal investigators. And they're like, oh, like the Ghost Hunters TV show. And I was like, well, no. All right. I mean, no, but little. But the way you're thinking about it, no. And I think that I would love them even more confused. Yeah, it confused me. Why wouldn't you just say it's it's Dungeons and Dragons, but with Mulder and Scully? Yeah, I would say that now. This was before I had that better explanation ready to go. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I have never once been successful in, in using that in, in that hook. I've never once told someone it's like Call of Cthulhu, but the X-Files, and had them say, oh, cool, I want to play. Anything else on uh, Moth and Rust Consume? Oh, yeah, tons of stuff. Uh, I think that the set pieces are really cool. I think that all the encounters that you can have with different creepy things are great. I really have no idea how it all fits together. My Just from, just from reading it, I assume that the life cycle is that the uh, caterpillars build stuff, hatch into the moths, the moths destroy things, and the caterpillars rebuild it. But that's never actually explicitly explained. That's just what I gathered from reading it. I don't know if there may be two separate species or types of creature or something. I do love that he includes an appendix of literary references and cool quotes, like Ozymandias and a song lyric here and there. That's a neat Wait, is that thing. how you think that's pronounced? What, Ozymandias? Oh. Yeah, that is how it's pronounced. Oh, it's Ozymandias. What? Uh, Jake, you're right. To be fair, I've never heard it said aloud. Well, how do they say it in Watchmen? I wouldn't know. I haven't seen the Watchmen movie because I don't want to taint the comic book. Oh my god. I mean, if you don't want to taint the comic book, you should also not read anything that Alan Moore has said about any of his past works. <laughs> so, what, you know, it's like he realized that he had money and didn't could do whatever he wanted. He was like, WTF, I hate cape shit now. It's, look, it's definitely, it's definitely Ozymandias because it's named after the famous lead singer of Black Sabbath when he was standing on a raised circular platform. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so the I think the major source of inspiration for this was House of Leaves. And I tried to read House of Leaves, but I couldn't. Like, I just could not get past, like, the first hundred pages or so. It is not an easy book to read. Is it that way by, like, design? Yeah, you're not supposed to read. It's just, like, take it in. Tom, I do feel like this scenario is, is your kind of fun. Yeah, there's a lot here that looks pretty cool to me. Like, I like a lot of the set pieces. And I kind of sympathize with some of the stylistic choices even if they do impede clarity a little bit but now you're gonna you're gonna be because if i recall correctly you were quite a harsh critic of scenarios that put the npc roster before the content and this one puts the npc roster before the content but also has no information about the npcs in the roster true well i guess (laughs) the fact that it's not pages and pages of detail on the npcs before it lays out all the background information is it's easy to get through but yeah, I would like the summary to be more specific uh, about exactly what's going on in the background. Because like you said, you kind of have to read it yourself to get what's going on. And even then there's holes in it. Aside, it, it's true. Aside, I'm kind of buzzed already. It's almost like drinking a glass of champagne at the same time as a, as a shot of gin was like strongly alcoholic. I mean, that's your uh, that's your brand. Oh yeah, the, the melon pill is like, it's like 300 proof. No, it's just low-grade alcoholism. Excuse me, who the fuck you call in a low-grade? 
If I was a grade, I'd be like 90% motherfucker. I'd be like straight up and down. Sorry, 90 degrees, not percent. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the question. How many is that? No, motherfucker, you need to to answer me because you're the cartographer here. How many is that in radians? I don't know what a radian is. How many is it in term? I don't know what radians are either. That's some Again, like, a found, uh, a found artillery shit. information until Max, someone has are, a question for him. Max, are you familiar with that? So in Battlestar Galactica, they always reference, like, it's coming at us, you know, 245 Karam 537 or whatever. And it, it's clearly just technobabble they made up because it's not degrees because it goes more, there's more than 30 to 60 of them. But like, there's like a deep lore about how like in the, the in the Battlestar Galactic universe, they use like a different measurement of things. So it's okay. Is that it just feels oh, like, they don't have, they yeah, don't have base 10. Yeah. Like maybe that's why their, their uh, paper papers don't have corners either. Um, no, cause they use base eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, some poor fucking like one proud guy thought that looked cool. And then he had to cut a million pieces of paper up for like the rest of the show. Well, cons- oh. consider consider that that um, they haven't had license to be as weird as they want because technically nobody on that ship has any like relationship whatsoever to our culture or our planet. It's true. Like they're they're literally not descended from us. Spoilers for Battlestar Fuck, fuck anyone who like thinks that ending is good. Oh wait, that's you. Yeah, look, it's one of, my, one of my top five shows. Ending included. Well, we'll, we'll re- relitigate this twenty years after it fucking come out. All right, you guys on Will Zuma's scenario here. It's it's good. I think, like I said, I'd run it with Delta Green. Having said that, I really like the way that it includes both um, both Delta Greens in it in a way that's not just like resolve the bureaucratic interaction or shoot at each other. I think it's fun. The other NPCs are cool too. The NPC that um, that like runs Phenomenex is she's super cool. I like that character. Oh yeah, I like her too. The uh... The anarchist lady. Yeah, I think it does a a really good job of creating personality for BX Penumbra. It's good because I don't, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think there's anybody else that's kind of laid out like NPCs or how it works there or anything, Uh, at least for the new version of the game. I may be wrong, though. I'm often wrong. There's like... There's like one vlogger who gets name dropped at the very in the very last paragraph of Sentinels of Twilight, but that's basically it. I would love to see Will Zoomer write up a. I, that was a deliberate malpropism, by the way. Uh, just like a Zomner's Zoom Zoomner. I would love to see him write up a full, just like I've been doing for Pisces and Esper and so on, to do a full write up of of uh, of PX Penumbra. Be pretty good cool for the group, yeah. Because I feel like they would kind of fulfill the same function as the Dream Syndicate, except be more interesting. Anyway, good scenario. All right. Um, I guess the next one we can just skip because it uh, seems really boring and it's not important. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Let's talk about Operation Daring Dirt. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, that's fine. It's uh, Daring Dirt slash the Pyramid Scheme. Um, it is about people that aren't Delta Green also. Um, they are either academics or security personnel going on a archaeology dig in Mexico, uh, the Yucatan Peninsula specifically. Um, I saw a really cool article that I thought, it's been shared a bunch of times, uh, but it's one of those things where people are like, oh, look at this scenario seed, and then they never like follow up on it. They failed to sprinkle enough artifacts on it to get it to sprout. Right. Well, I sprinkled some artifacts on this one. Um, it's where they used uh, LIDAR, light detection and ranging from an airplane to penetrate through like the jungle canopy and find like a, a 
city that had been swallowed by the jungle. And from there, it's just like a expedition to this lost city, which there, um, for the contest prompt, I used the less, lesser known mythos entity. And I've got a really, really obscure one. Um, someone named Uwitzel Kopak, who's supposed to be like the Lord of Pain. So like well, you look at him. You're going to crap for Ozymandias, but then you're going to go ahead and say what? Uh, Uwitzel Kopak? Witzel Quebec? I don't know. Like I, like I said, I found um, they did the same thing for the other one where I found like one reference to it in this really old French uh, Call of Cthulhu scenario, and I didn't like its premise there either. So I said I'm gonna make my own. But anyways, it hurts to look at him. So a long time ago, the Elder Gods like uh, got together and they banished him into a prison beyond time and space. And Wait, they literally? He was literally too ugly to live. Yes. It's, it's hurt to look at him. And, he, um, he has a right. To, he has a right to public space, like everyone else. Just because he's fucked up doesn't mean that he. Well, he he's, can just, he's got his own public space. He's uh, he separate but equal. If you would. God damn it! You're not. You're not really doing a lot to bust stereotypes about your people here. <laughs> what do you mean, my people? The people. You're people from the woods, dude. <laughs> people from Bama. Anyway. Um, so uh there's also like a sort of priest cast of people that have been guarding this guy and keeping him contained by making sacrifices to other older um elder gods but like um so the whole time you're stalking through the woods you're getting stalked by members of the cartel who are looking to kidnap the foreigners they can give us the, the backstory but have you given us the um this, the actual gameplay portion of it, because I think that's important here for what you're talking about. Um, I mean, you go on a trek through the jungle, and you're being stalked by cartel guys and these priest cast people who can do like some shape shifting. Then you get to the city and you explore it, and there's spooky stuff in the city. Yeah. And then they eventually want you to join their pyramid scheme. I found an image of this guy, and he looks adorable. Actually, that's just like a. That's one of those Pokemon mashups together. That is, um, it's the, the cactus same guy. Pokemon. No, it's the cactus Pokemon, and that like legendary from like Sapphire or something like that. So you now see? we have to include the image in the scenario. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I, I like how half, notes, whatever. Half because like he's such an obscure mythos character that after you pass the first few interesting images, it's just Cthulhu. Because Google's like, you must have meant Cthulhu, right? Because he's got references and Google's uh, caught there. Um, in mine, I made him like um, a red lizard so you could draw like devil um, comparisons. That one's also adorable, Kevin. <laughs> I know. We're going to have to link both of these now. That looks like a Neopets, but like more detailed. Yeah, or um, Flight Rising is the, like, the, the modern Neopets analog that all the kids are playing. Uh, you could still play Neopets. My wife does it sometimes. I didn't realize that still existed. That's that's like pre Homestar Runner, dude. You've got like young Venus molesting this kid in this picture. Anyways, he is a very very obscure mythos deity. Um, I think Jake, that the best parts of your scenario remind me of the city exploration from Beyond the Mountains of Madness. Well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. And the part that I don't like is that you've constantly got an NPC riding your ass. I'd see. Um. I did make some pregens like at your suggestion because you know if you're gonna do like an alternate setting you need to have alternate setting pregens. But I felt like I needed a say in the matter myself as the handler to kind of guide people if they get off you know off topic or like start going astray. I think that making the 
leader of the group of free gen and giving him motivations and writing in the notes like you will never stop because you need to find the mysteries would have solved that problem he's also a npc um this is like a prequel to arbor zoinks the big campaign i've been working on for a couple of years and um i needed him to stay alive so i needed some gm bullshit to keep him alive if need be but I remember um, I had put a time limit on myself to write this before I was getting ready to run it. And I did not finish before it was time for me to run it on the server. So a lot of this uh, came from play. That's one of my suggestions about writing a scenario. Kevin's did it work basically out? correct here that you don't actually have to write the entire scenario before you play test it. You just have to write a very small amount that's enough that you can run it. Right. I don't know what the rest of the squad think. It's a neat little dungeon crawl aspect. I like the kind of random encounters that you can get into. It gives the GM a lot of uh, things to throw at the players. I'd be curious if you could run this as Delta Green, because I know some, you know, we tend to run a lot of one shots, so pre-gens are fine. But if, if I had like a steady gaming group, it might be tough to roll this in. I think that you could run it as Delta Green, but some people would try to co-opt the temple and the thing that's hidden there. Because if you went to a March deck executive and you were like, Hey, I have this thing that like, it can fucking kill you. If you look at it, like it hurts to look at this thing so bad. They're like, sweet, let's make it a weapon. I mean, I the solution is to not use the March tech meta plot. Yeah. I also wonder if you could maybe make it like a flashback scenario, like have the agents stumble onto the next part of this, uh, campaign. And then the next session they flash back and like learn the, I'm running like an extended prologue almost. Yeah, um, I actually put that like in the rear of the scenario. There is um, suggestions that if anyone like makes it out of this alive, you use it in the they they, they emerge in the uh, scenario the campaign as like an NPC who just got back from going to make some more sacrifices at this temple. So then the players have to kill their own characters or you know whatever you do with NPCs. I had a lot of fun um, writing this, and I ran it twice, and it was fun to play it both times as well. Cool. Um, my favorite part is the ball court. Um, you know, there's that Aztec um, ball game that they used to play. It's kind of like soccer and basketball mixed together. It's called uh, Schlachty. And um, if you play the game, um, you might end up being murderously compelled uh, to attack your fellow players. Uh, so, uh, it's like when- almost never going to happen, though. <laughs> Does the does the professor play the game with you? He could, yeah. Okay, that's good then, because I want to. Um, I think that would be because I got like I've expressed repeatedly that I don't like scenarios where I get dragged around by an NPC. So I think it'd be funny if um, the oh, players play the game, kick his ass, and then just fucking smash his uh, head. In. Not only can he play the game, he's the one that produces like a reproduction ball for you to play the game. So that's good. I can't ever see like convincing anyone to actually go through and um, do this because like it's it sets off like the bad idea alarms. But it'd be fun if they did. I think that if you made a character who was um, like had big athletics, then it would sound like fun or whatever. But the problem with we, we we've talked about this how like archaeologist characters. One of the problems with them is that they're kind of useless for most things because so many of their skill points are sunk into really obscure disciplines like three language skills. Yeah, I would just make it all the more funnier as they tried to play the game then. Just being really, really bad at it. Alright, uh, the final scenario to discuss is uh, Max, the Wizard of Waluna. The Wizard of Waluna is my introductory scenario for a group set in Australia. 
I was working on the group before I worked on the scenario, and then I thought, you know what's more fun than writing up a bunch of NPCs and descriptive text? Write a scenario so that people can actually play it. So I actually finished this scenario before I finished the main document for Esper. Esper is based on a throwaway line in one of the old Delta Green source books about a company of Australians that is secretly a front for the organization Pisces to recruit psychics and do counterintelligence operations in Oceania. I decided that since there was almost no details about it, I would just write my own thing. And the updated version is that Esper in the present day is a private company completely severed from the you know, from British intelligence that secretly recruits and trains psychics to do paranormal counterintelligence operations in the land down under. So in this scenario, you play as, and, and in, in Esper scenarios, you play as a combination of the psychics and regular police. And the idea being that uh, if you're Australian federal police, you've got firepower, you've got you know license to kill, do as you please, open doors with your badge. Whereas the psychics are all from civilian backgrounds, but they have special powers. So in this scenario, you have to track down a cult that is doing bad things in the Western desert in Western Australia. And it's based very loosely on a conspiracy theory among Australians and Japanese conspiracy theorists that the death cult Om Shinrikyo may have detonated a nuclear weapon in the Australian outback uh, in their efforts to acquire weapons of mass destruction. Because we know for a fact that they had a sheep station that they used to test biological and chemical weapons, but as far as anyone knows, they were not successful in their plot to acquire Russian nuclear weapons or nuclear scientists. Anyway, the scenario was a lot of fun when I playtested it. Uh, I think that the players... I, I put pre-gens in because I know that... I, I hadn't actually finished the, the rules for creating a psychic yet, so I just thought, here, I'll just make three characters. I'll give them all, like, fun powers and a fun backstory so that people will want to play as them. And then, you know, everyone knows how to make a federal agent. You just take the template and just slap bonus skills on them, and you're kind of good to go. And... Yeah. good. I was going to say, the uh, making a bunch of robot masters with special powers is very, very you, but it works really well. Uh, it gives us playing a really cool character with a neat, like, you know, remote viewing or combat casting or whatever is a cool way to, like, have a little fun with the game. So I like that about this. Did anyone use those in clever ways in the playtest? Yeah, actually, when the... So the villain in this scenario is a... a uh, splinter of Om Shinrikyo, uh, a guy who, you know, they wanted they wanted to like develop weapons of mass destruction. So they were looking at chemical, biological, nuclear, and so they sent this guy to research like psychic powers, and he actually found the secrets of the Ascended Masters. So after the cult was shut down, he ran the fuck away, went back to his homeland of Australia, and kind of kept it up. And so in this scenario, he when when we ran it, he used his he used one of the, like the crystals that he'd found to drain all the life out of the other cultists and supercharge his own psychic powers. And so he was using it to deal like lots of damage with, you know, telekinetic attacks. But then the police kept shooting him, and so it was using up all his willpower to to block the bullets. And he's like, alright, I gotta get the fuck out of here. So he flies up in the air using telekinesis. And then one of the, the psychic is like, well I can, you know, show this fucking guy who's the boss of this gym and uses his his memory modification power to erase the guy's memory of how to fly telekinetically oh jeez so he falls out of the sky tough landing uses up Jesus. the rest of his willpower avoiding the damage and then the police just unload on him so he cast counter spell and the guy fell took a uh, 96 fall damage the players kept coming up with genuinely really cool creative ways to use their powers and so i actually ended up loosening some of the restrictions because the powers have a pretty high cost and so 
if they are that expensive, then it should be allowed to use them in wacky ways. It's like um, the way you wrote these is like rituals, but you don't have to uh, do the sand test to pass or the ritual operation test to use it, right? Yeah, you, so you, you can cast it as an at will, and some of them some of them are more useful than their handler's book counterparts. Like the guy who has clairvoyance can actually do stuff with it, whereas in the book it's kind of useless. Yeah, I remember that um, I was actually looking over that for uh, Daring Dirt about the clairvoyance spell, and it's really ambiguous as to whether or not it even works very well in the Handler's Guide. It's like, uh, you might get a vision, it might be blurry, who knows? So I'm glad that you fix that, because if you're going to like spend a lot of points on something, I want it to work. So you also have, I assume, or have you also at this point written the generic esper like yeah i wrote esper, esper and then yeah. i wrote up a rival for esper based on a throwaway line from so their eyes only or countdown which everyone has called the transcendence has a throwaway line about um mercenaries who work for the cult in australia and how they have been one second i'm gonna sneeze mercenaries in australia who have been guarding the secret underground lairs in the great sandy desert of the ithians and so i reimagined those guys as Okay, Cult of Transcendence dies. They're no longer getting checks from headquarters. So the head of of the mercenaries in Australia says, all right, what do we got? Well, all of the guys who are guarding the desert sites, you know how soldiers get when they get bored, they do stupid stuff. So these guys had been these guys had been doing, uh, they called it dungeon crawls, where they'd go out into the Ithian ruins and explore them and try to find like trinkets to bring back. So he had a bunch of guys who were like experts at at bringing back uh, alien technology on dangerous operations, and he had a bunch of cool alien artifacts. He was like, "Cool, that's my that's my mercenary company right there." And I used a lot of the descriptive text from the book, the complex, because complex gives a cool write up of Constellus Group, which is the successor to Blackwater or the guys who bought Blackwater. Um, we talked about it a little bit in our interview with Chris Gunning. I think Kevin, you were. Uh, part of that conversation if I remember correctly. Yeah, I nearly worked for them. Yeah. Probably. And yeah. the vision of mercenaries presented in the old DG books was that they were uh, you know, could could basically get away with anything as long as it was in the third world. And I think that the landscape has changed just a tiny bit because there's been such a backlash to, you know, guys like Blackwater or executive outcomes or all the other stuff that was kind of kicking around in the nineties. In early 2000s? I think the perception has changed, but they're still just as nuts as they were before. You just don't hear about it. But uh, that's definitely a fair assumption. So these guys, want, basically the idea I had for, for this group, I called the group Two Flower because originally the name was Sapris. And I was like, I want another plant name. And also Two Flower is the name of the guy from Discworld. But uh, the idea I had was that they've got this team of like elite badasses with alien technology and, you know, special operators with guns and stuff. But they can't actually go out and just blast people because in australia if you go out and shoot someone that's not it's not like in the u.s where that's just kind of a part of the daily grind that's like a bigger deal so they've got a they've got these all these legendary badasses but they have to come up with all these convoluted schemes to like make it look like an accident when they kill somebody and they're actually really scared of esper because they've got yithian items that let them see the future but they can't see psychics the psychics are completely invisible to them. And so it fucking terrifies them because now there's another counterintelligence agency of people who they can't do anything about right under their noses. 
Yeah, that's in a scenario that just something Kevin asked me about. Yeah, I think it created another interesting, you know, non Delta Green, Delta Green, which is always good. And it's not just a reskin, you know, cheap reskin. So you're giving folks a good jumping off point if they want to play, you know, games down under. Any other Wiluna thoughts? Do we have any interest in doing like general breakdown of thoughts about the contest? Or yeah, I'd love to. What it would do? You have a, a something to kick us off with? Yeah, um, I will say I have the stats written somewhere. I'm trying to find them. Yeah, bottom here. So um, this was the I'm going to air quote worst, but only by one or four. Um, you know, uh, contest in terms of turnout. Um, but we had 13 submissions, eight submitters. So that's you know about par. We had. This for reference, our first contest had 14 entries and 12 people who submitted in our second contest last year was 20 uh, entries, submissions, and 14 submitters. Um, it was, I think this had also the weakest spread of um, prompts. Yes. Um, Lesson on Mythos Threats had 8 out of uh, 13. A friendly NPC had 8 out of 13. Several had 0, 1, 2 uses. So I think that's just the, uh, the way it happens. You know, there's sometimes... Because we we democratized the picking of, of the prompts, so we 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 did it we did it twice. Um, much to Jake's chagrin about losing Lost City as a prompt. No, no Jake, so. Jake, I, Jake's I still right. I like, use Lost Cities. I used two of them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like you, you were the uh, Kevin. People were like, "Yo, we got to reroll these prompts," and they meant like reroll the two. And you were like, no, we got to reroll all of them. Yeah, I didn't. That's I, why people I were. I didn't get that. Not yeah. happy with you, but uh, I mean, people. You're right. People voted for a Rico case, and look how many submissions that I got. You want to tell us? Yeah, zero. Yeah, which is annoying because I. I mean, I didn't have time to write anything for the scenario, but I had some ideas for Rico case, and just kind of annoying that people voted for it. It's nice because. It looks like our federal prosecutors and Delta Green are finally realizing that you can't just say shit's a Rico case and make it a Rico case. Yeah. I do. Uh, if, if I had a way to tie your vote to a submission, I would. I, mean, I don't think I don't know how I could do that. But if I could say, like, if you vote for this, you have to use it. I think that would mean that would make the vote spread a lot more different. But well, trying to track that everyone that voted on tough. the prompts didn't even enter anything. Like there were a lot of yeah, people who voted it, on prompts. It would be, and didn't. It'd be nearly impossible to enforce or track, but I feel like that would be the ideal case. I think that this year there were a lot of people that had some really, really high concept things, like some very um, intricate, very like much, much larger ideas than they had the capacity to write. I say that as someone that routinely starts big projects for this game, like writing them and then uh, loses interest and then comes back at them and stuff like that. But you can't do that during like a contest season, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think almost every entry was 30 pages. That's a lot for, you know, a short. Yeah. Those are huge scenarios. You you know, I mean, a scenario that long needs to be written and rewritten and rewritten until it's really concise and, and good. And a lot of the, I think a lot of the negatives we had, we very rarely were we, in this discussion about ent- entries, we're like, oh, this is a bad idea. Most of the comments we had were, it's hard to read, it's hard to parse, I don't know what's going on. And all that will be fixed with rewriting and editing. Almost all of these, like the central concept works. So that's kind of, you know, I, I don't know how to fix that aside from force people to write better, but, uh, or maybe have an editing contest right after the scenario contest. <laughs> <laughs> what was, um, so, I'm not going to tell you who I voted for because with four votes and four melon bread scenarios, it's not hard to figure out. What did everyone else vote for? So I had two entries and I did four votes. So um, past my two, I think I voted for Pooh Bear because I really liked that one. Um, you know, the, 
the Nefarious Corporation plot gets me. And then the other one that I voted for, I believe, was uh, Glory to the Hypnotoad. Nice. Because that was my favorite of your Pisces ones. It's also the first one. Kevin? You, you didn't vote. You're not eligible. Yeah, you're not eligible. Uh, Tom, you were a submitter because you were co-credited on You Know That I Will Never Stop Believing. Did you vote for any scenarios yet? I have not submitted my votes yet, but since I've got my name on one, that's probably going to be the one I vote for first. And I think I'm also going to vote for Where Moth and Rust Consume, because even if it isn't written as clearly as I would like, you're right that there is a lot of stuff that does appeal to me and what I want from a, an RPG game. And the other two, do you have any strong contenders for? Or just see what uh, if you like? I probably, if if I was eligible to vote and was going to do it, um, see what, prob- probably Wild Bill. I really like that one. Uh, I, I, I like Love Bug. I guess it's got some neat stuff in it, so I probably would have voted for that. Yeah, you would with your come out in black, come out you black and tans. I think that Kevin, um, Kevin, don't take this the wrong way, but I think that your knowledge of like Norn Iron is ninety percent memes. No, I mean I have a pretty good understanding of of the the troubles and their starts and fits and starts, but I mean the memes are the best part. I think that, that the, the bombings. I have yet to to see evidence of that, but I'll to take your word for it. There's a, there's a great picture that I always laugh every time I see it. Um, an old IRA guy made some tweet about like not being able to get his Christmas lights working, and somebody replies to him and it's like, I'm sure you know someone who can fit a timer. That fucking kills me every time. Because, like, this poor guy is trying to hang Christmas lights. And the last two? After the first two, I'm not sure where I'd go. Kevin, what um, you said you were working on, what props were you going to use? I mean, I had some like, high concept ideas for a Rico case, but I knew that I didn't. I knew as soon as I thought about it seriously, I wouldn't have time to do it. So it probably would have been um, probably would have been Rico, Rico case. You know, enemy of my enemies, wicked easy. Friendly NPCs, wicked easy. Um, yeah, those are the I, low-hanging fruits. I think you could tie either embassy jobs into that one really neatly with a, with a crime syndicate kind of thing. Um, and I feel like the two Tree of Liberty ones weren't, they didn't, you could do some really cool stuff with that evocative prompt and they both went really low. Hey, fuck you. My tree was great. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying it didn't really go the way I thought it would. I'm surprised they didn't have an NPC named Liberty who had a bonsai tree that needed to be refreshed. That would have been based and you are a absolute pleb for disparaging this great concept. You know, I told you that um, the way I was planning on using Rico for something I aborted, right? I was going to have something set in Puerto Rico. That would have been sick. It would have been a Rico case then. Deleted it from the internet. Um, Like, for Tree of Liberty, right? You could have this big sacrifice that has to have a bunch of patriots killed at once, and then they have to find, like, true patriots with all their blood soaked in the ground. This massive tree monster shows up. Jake fucking did that, dude. This scenario that you disparaged had that in it. Kind it's of. clear. It's obvious he didn't read it. It's fine. It kind of. I mean, he, he couldn't vote, so he didn't bother reading. It's okay. It's okay, Kevin. You guys make fun of me for not knowing the name of my own scenario. Kevin doesn't even know the name of his own contest. I mean, it's just the third annual. God, I'm gonna get rid of the robot unless we, anyone else has a parting shot. No, I think it was a good contest. I learned some stuff about how just from this discussion about how I can fix some problems with some of the things that I submitted. And thank you to everyone who wrote entries. I had a lot of fun reading these. Yeah, it was good. There was some very good stuff, and I plan on running a couple of them uh, when I get a chance. 